0: Once again, welcome back to a brand new episode of Two Please. I'm your host, Abun.
1: And I'm your co-host, Rohit. You might spot a third face here with us. Uh, we have our friend, Atula. Uh, it's been a long time since we've had a guest on this show. And uh, our longtime friend, Atula, has joined us for this uh, uh, episode. Now, uh, we know her for, I think, almost 10 years now. We've yeah. moved around in similar circles of quizzing. And, you know, it started from there. And then we just became friends outside of that. She's lived an interesting life. She's going to bring interesting points of view and fresh perspectives to this episode. And that's why we're excited to have her on here. But uh, I also want to hear from Atula. How do you feel coming on to uh, 2 Please and to discuss what we're going to discuss today, which is the Phoebe Waller-Bridge show Fleabag.
2: Thanks, Rohit. Thanks, Abhin, for that kind introduction and for having me on the show. Um, to introduce myself quickly, my name is Atila. I'm a corporate lawyer and I'm currently based in Taipei. Uh, I've been somebody who really enjoys uh, dabbling in consuming pop culture, uh, although I don't spend a lot of time uh critiquing it or thinking about how it makes me feel, um, I'm really grateful for this uh, opportunity. I also, you know, tend to enjoy content around, um, I like thrillers, I like comedies, I like uh, slice-of-life shows, particularly those, uh, you know, uh, written by women, Mm -hmm. men written by women, I believe, are uh, just... A different level of uh, well-written character. So I think Fleabag in particular, I'm excited to discuss because it, you know, checks a lot of those boxes and it's um, uh, a series I really, really enjoy that's really special to me. So yeah, looking forward to being on Two please. I also really enjoy the show. Um, I believe you guys are simultaneously both the most lowbrow and highbrow um, <laughs> uh, uh, folks I know. And uh, I love that you cover similar kinds of content in uh, to please. So super excited to be here.
1: You come for the Scorsese, you stay for the Sanjali Labansani. <laughs>
0: for sure. And we wouldn't, you know, here's the thing we wouldn't have it any other way. I don't think Rohit and I would ever have been able to justify a podcast where we don't discuss the low stuff because that's where we really thrive. That's, that's, our, uh, that's our comfort food. Yeah. Anyway,
1: with that, we start on show? with
0: the show. Let's start the show. So, I guess there's only one place to begin. Let's talk about our first impressions of the show. So, I discovered Fleabag uh, back in 2016 when I was busy looking up random shows to watch on Rotten Tomatoes. And it had, what, a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes at the time? I had no clue of what the show was about. And that first episode is such a hook, it really grabs you. <laughs> and in one afternoon, I binged the entire series. And by the end of it, I was absolutely devastated. I was thoroughly immersed. I really. I mean, I, I found myself gravitating towards a character who for all intents and purposes is probably one of the most unlikable people uh, in television history ever. But at the same time, there's something really enduring and, uh, and grounded and, and almost real about her. Like this, this person seemed like someone who would exist in normal life. And given the, the scenario she has to go through and the people that she has to deal with and ultimately uh, what price she's had to pay, I remember sitting with that season finale and really thinking about it for a very long time with no sign of season 2 on the horizon and now naturally we you know Waller bridge went on to do a lot of other shows and, and films and by the time 2019 came uh, rolled around and the second season came out uh, I was uh, I kind of like taken a step back and this is just a me problem where I don't tend to engage with media that has a mass hysteria around it uh, there was a lot of buzz coming around, uh, around Fleabag at the time. And I, I don't know if it's an involuntary thing. I kind of take a step back and then just wait for the hype to die, on, die down and then go check it out. And that's what I did like four years later, as of three weeks ago, where I was, sat and watched season two in one evening. And although I must say it is a much lighter season compared to the first, it's still extremely enjoyable. And uh, particularly the first episode, the dinner sequence that unfolds, where everything that could possibly go wrong, goes wrong, goes wrong. And it's so wonderfully written and Wallabid is such a master of her craft uh, that I couldn't help, like by the end of that first episode, being like, wow, okay, I am in for another wonderful season of absolute insanity.
2: So for me, it was actually quite similar. I... uh... It's also been around three years since I watched uh, both seasons. It's been a while, but its impact has stayed with me, even if specific scenes, I don't remember as clearly as you might have been, having you watched it just three weeks ago. Um, But... uh, I agree with you that the craft in her writing is, you know, kind of what really reels you in, right? Through all of the fourth wall breaking, flee back, the character makes you feel like she's letting you into her thoughts, into her life. And then the end, when she, when you realize how she's you know, self-sabotaged and messed up her life and, you know, basically listened to all her intrusive thoughts in many ways through her life, you tend to feel really bad for her. It's um, She's not living up to some kind of ideal uh, or she's not like this complete mess that some guy is swooping in and fixing. She has her highs, she has her lows. She's just this every woman who's really funny, messed up, but also, you know, someone you end up rooting for at the end of the day.
1: No, I agree. I think for me personally, I'm a sucker for fourth wall breaks. So, you know, right off the pilot, I was just like, cool, I'm in, right? And while I'll I'll speak a little more about the pilot when we get to the memorable moments section, it's just end of that first scene, whatever, you know, the cold open, I was like, okay, cool. This is like nothing I've ever <laughs> uh, seen. If I don't know if you guys recall, it's the whole, he tries to... Uh, He's called the asshole guy. Right? And yeah. The cold open scene ends with her saying,
2: "Do I have a massive
1: asshole?" Like, what <laughs> am I watching? Why do I love? I mean, I was like in, right? I was in for it, and uh, like you said, up in uh, super sharp writing. Again, the fourth wall break kind of makes you part of the scene, makes you a spectator to what's happening in her life. You know, it. I don't know. It just makes it feel more personal. So. Again, both seasons I love. I love both of them. Uh, like you rightly said, up in the first season is definitely darker. The second season has the whole pre storyline. Rather uh, than that, it is it is a it deals with less heft. I would say, I, I don't I don't mean that in a bad way. But on the whole, both seasons combine excellent television, and like you said, not enough of that is made out uh, out there. And to add to what Atula said, I think what makes the the show such intriguing watching is the title character, right? It's, she's so layered, and you can see there are uh, you can see at points the darkness in her bubbles to the top, and then she represses it, and that shows yeah. wonderfully on Phoebe Waller-Bridge's face as well. You know, there are points where she's you can see that that veneer is going to crack, and then she just pulls it back. So it's it's great watching, just super intriguing to see her inner voice. Uh, play out and like you said she listens to her intrusive thoughts a lot more than usual and it's a nice way to put it like and all of us have these right we're like should I do this this is you know like you have that thing like no you know, not fucking do this yeah, you yeah. most of us choose not to and she chooses to act upon them so it's it's super interesting viewing uh, so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to you know dive uh, deep into the themes that we want to discuss go over the memorable moments but yeah, first impressions, excellent two seasons of television. A quick summary of the first uh, and the second season. Abin, I'm going to do a, a, a shit job of this. So, wherever you feel I've missed something. Or Atila as well, just chip in. Uh, uh, right? So, the first season, broadly, like we mentioned, is introduces us to Fleabag. It shows her, her relationship with her family, which, you know, it's a fascinating dynamic on its own. She has a very interesting relationship with her sister, her father, her stepmother and her boyfriend and and the random guys that she meets and hooks up with. Uh, It also uh, has this bank manager character that, again, they have a very interesting dynamic across the course of the season. We see that she has uh, this guinea pig themed cafe that she used to run with her best friend, Boo. And uh, due to a, a recent personal tragedy, obviously we see her... A, having to run the cafe on her own, but more importantly, spiral down this, you know, road of depression, guilt, self-loathing. It's a it's a complicated and, you know, potent uh, mixture of uh, burdens or emotions that she has to sort of shoulder. And uh, again, we see her relationship with uh, her brother-in-law, Martin. And, uh, you know, the whole thing culminates into this series finale of... Uh, this bizarre uh feminine, I mean, it's supposed to be a feminist art exhibit, but uh it's a, I feel it's a very bizarre uh, articulation of that. I mean, bizarre for comedic purposes. And uh, yeah. again, things come to a head where uh, Fleabag sees that uh, she's been expected to perform a specific role, a certain role in, in the exhibition. And uh, yeah, like Abhin said, a major revelation happens at the end of the episode, which is super devastating and uh, adds, uh, Impossibly so adds another dimension to uh, her her role and uh, her motivations, her tragedy. So that's the first season. Again, I don't want to give too many specific details away, There, you know, specific to each episode, but that's the broad theme. Second season broadly continues the same thing. You see the character of Fleabag go down these same roads, make similar mistakes. Yes, there is, in terms of self-improvement, there are two steps forward, but there's also one step back. And uh, a big part of the two steps forward is her relationship or her dynamic with the character of the priest, uh, who is a recurring or I would say overarching character across the second season. Uh, Her interactions with him make her a better person, while her demons continue to uh, sort of pull her back. And uh, in the process, her relationships with her family, her sister, her, uh, her parents, whatever, her dad and her stepmother continue to evolve. And uh, the series finale again ends, I would say, on a bittersweet note. I wouldn't say yeah. it's, a, it's not necessarily sad. There's some upliftment, but you realize, you know, she still has a ways to go. <laughs> so that's that's broadly the second season.
0: I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty all-encompassing. Uh, and, if, and if you miss something out, guys, here's the thing. Go watch the show. And then come back to this yeah, episode. Yeah, just go so it's, so. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's literally, you will spend two days and you'll spend three hours on it each. And you'll be, and you'll be done. And then this episode is... Going to be an hour at uh an hour at length minimum. So come back. We're always gonna be here for you. Any any behind the scenes stories
1: that you guys know of? Anything about the character about the show that you feel like you want to share?
2: I think the big one is just the genesis of the show, right? Uh yeah. they say it um, uh, you know, it it was first a one-woman show that Phoebe Wallabridge had uh at the Edinburgh Fringe and which she came up with, I think, on because of a dare or uh, something of this sort. And I, I've not watched her really talk about, you know, the process of, uh, like, translating that to uh, television. But I like to think that's kind of where the fourth wall breaking came from, right? This is a character that you've sort of looked straight at your audience and kind of confronted yeah. them with, like, all of its different layers. So I think not doing that in any other medium would have, uh, would have just been just too strange. So um, I think a part of that just direct communication that it once had while it was a one-woman show, I think um, carried through as a TV show itself. And I think we're all the better for it.
1: I don't have any behind the scenes stories. I'm just going to spend a quick minute just uh, like fangirling over Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You know, when uh, sometimes you're in the company of people who are so clearly you know outright far wittier, far funnier. You you find yourself sometimes in that situation, right? Where like you know I I, am in the company of somebody you know I shouldn't even like say anything. If I was to be around Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I'd just be like, just keep talking. Like you know, I'll I'll just.
0: So like, don't talk. I, I would talk just. I would just, I would just. I would be
1: quiet. Yeah. You know, one of those like there's Tina Faye, the C B Waller Bridge. If I were to be I were to be in their company I'd just be like, Wow, just you know, just just keep being brilliant, just keep being funny, I just wanna hear and like melt into a, a, a quiet
2: puddle somewhere. Yeah, I think Uruj Ashwak, the stand-up comedian uh, based in Bombay, she put up a very, what I thought was relatable Instagram post. She was at Edinburgh Fringe recently and I think won, um I think a newcomer award, which is very, very cool. But then she put up this picture with Phoebe Waller-Bridge where she was just like, you know, grinning um super wide. You could see all of her teeth and she was just like, I couldn't say a word. This is I. I can't believe I was next to Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and I was like, "Yes, this is all of us. This is all of us in the presence of Phoebe Waller-Bridge."
0: I think
1: I would either be super quiet or just shout. But yeah, I mean, that was uh, by no means a BTS uh, section. We just that ended up being a fangirling session. But I'm I'm okay with Mm -hmm. that. Uh, Let's move on to our our next chapter, which is memorable moments from uh, seasons. What are the things that stand out uh, that you still remember? Like we mentioned, we've seen. Abhin has seen it more recently, but we both, Atula and I, have seen it a while back. What are the things you remember even today?
2: Uh, For me, I think from season one, it's that the last revelation, right? Of course, um, Fleabag's had a lot of, I think, missteps in her sex life, her romantic life through the uh, course of the first season, which, um, and a big, I think a big incident that happens is the fact that her brother-in-law... Make inappropriately makes a move on her and tries to turn that around on her, but then yeah. you realize that you know this big um not sure if I should give the spoiler away, but you realize no, that no, is,
1: they're okay with spoilers here yeah okay,
2: so you know, and then we discover that um you know a, a huge incident in her life, the loss of her best friend is happens shortly after um her boyfriend cheats on the best friend with free bag. And, you know, then I feel like it sort of contextualizes all of her, I think, self-sabotage, bad decision making, um, the fact that she's dealing with hating herself for doing this, the fact that she's also lost her best friend. Like, I think all of those emotions kind of start to make sense. And I think the predominant feeling for her is just like a lot of uh just you just feel really really bad for this person, right? And uh, so I think that really stands out for me from season one. From season two, um, like I've said, the dinner um, the dinner is fantastic. It does a great job, also I think, of immediately telling you that she's done some work on herself. She's going to be celibate for a while. She's worked on her relationship with her sister, and um, you know, and then like she's immediately intrigued by the uh, by the priest. And there's also some hilarious crazy moments happening in that course, the course of that dinner, which is just so yeah. typical Fleabag. Um, so I think that, and also, I don't know if you guys caught uh, that side of the internet, but Fleabag's a jumpsuit in that dinner scene is very, very iconic. Mm. It's sold out yeah. immediately. Uh, I think it's around 40 pounds. I, in the course of the last three years, kept looking it up to see if they delivered to India. But then I was like, no, no I don't need that right now. I can't wear it anywhere. But uh, I think it was just a great like power dressing um, and also great date night outfit that I think caught the internet's imagination. Um, yeah, I think apart from that, another scene that stuck out to me was uh, the one where she goes to therapy, uh, I think on her dad's insistence and the iconic incredible Fiona Shaw does a brilliant job in a very very tiny uh, cameo there and I think even there like it's a very great therapy session I think she makes a breakthrough she's very uncomfortable makes jokes to deflect and then also very quickly gets out the topic of her shame and her Uh, I think, indecision uh, very quickly. So I think that's also like a masterclass in great writing. So I think those are the moments that stand out for me.
0: I think that that jumpsuit uh, keeps coming back into, as we like to see on this episode, on the series, The Cultural Zeitgeist, every couple of uh, months or so. I think Halloween last year, Paul Mescal and and, and Daisy Edgar-Jones went as the priest and as Fleabag for Halloween. So uh, I'm a big champion of normal people. I love that show. So it was, so it keeps, so that, that dress, I remember the furrow around, around the dress at the time. Now, uh, season one, I'd like to add to a couple of things. One, of course, is the opening monologue for season one, where she's standing outside her door or like inside her door waiting for, as as he's called in the script, asshole guy <laughs> to come in. And she talks about how, you know, when someone calls you in there at two o'clock in the morning and asks if you're, where you are and you just kind of even though you're in bed you kind of pretend that you just got in and you have this entire cleaning procedure to make yourself look ready and get and really get into the mood uh it it really sticks with you and it's it's an instant instant hook, right you're like oh what is this show i want to get into it and then as she's in in the act he's talking to you in the as in the audience talking about her what she's feeling and even though it's it's probably the most dissociative aspect of her it still makes a very engaging viewing as a, as a, as a third viewer uh and similarly another hilarious moment is her relationship with her boy, her on and off boyfriend harry who the, who she breaks up with or who he breaks up with her the first time because he catches her masturbating to the obama <laughs> that, speech which... that scene when i watched I'm like, <laughs> what is
2: happening <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god! It's it's so bizarre, yet so yeah. absolutely up alley. Because I'm like, oh, this is exactly the kind of shit I would laugh at. And <laughs> it's it's so weird, and I was like, okay, this show is is out there. But I'm but I'm really glad, like like it's so out there because I'm having a lot of fun with it. You know, you know, it's um, bizarre, but at the same time, Obama has something to it.
1: <laughs> when he talks, <laughs> when he... I kind of understand. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> I'm not going to get into more detail, but I kind of understand. Right. <laughs>
0: yeah. he, he has that aura, as, uh, as, it's the, the cadence and
1: the and the timber of his voice. I, I kind of get. It.
2: No comment, so, but you have something there. Ruth. <laughs> you have a point.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, worries, no, it's worries. no. So there, so there was there was that. There's of course the whole uh, interaction with the bank manager. When, which uh, begins with this absurd... I, I still don't know what the, the motive of uh, what she was thinking when she kind of pulls her top off in the middle of the meeting. <laughs> uh, and there are so many different varying perspectives on it, which I think we'll get to when, when we jump into themes. And her generally how that relationship goes, because you think it could go a certain way, but then you realize the back manager is also uh, harboring some old secrets. And when they're sitting in the cafe and having a conversation, it felt really nice then her relationship with Boo uh, and and how initially she does this to just, she she attempts this whole bus incident to just get herself hurt, to make her boyfriend feel bad, but ultimately ends up killing her. And then you at the end of the episode, you realize why. And generally, it's the characters. I think Claire is a fascinating character who kind of is supposed to have her life together, like the perfect encapsulation of the modern woman. But has these extremely deep-rooted insecurities that she just can't let go. She always, she always feels like that she's inferior compared to her sister and how the the world views the, each of them separately. I think her relationship with uh, with the husband also, who is this raging narcissist, is, is also a very interesting perspective because she just can't. Whatever happens, she can't bear to leave him because there's the it's the old it's the oldest tale in uh, in the book right about how people stay with what in scenarios that they're comfortable with and watching that back and forth is, uh, is a big, what do you call is, um, is, is is extremely engaging television. Uh, yeah. As for season two, piggybacking off of Atula's point that the dinner scene is, is perfect. It's the way the tension builds because at first, as you're watching the, watching the scene, you're like, okay, something is clearly off. Everyone's pretending to be uh, someone they're not. And it's so, Familiar because that we've all found ourselves in scenarios like that where we were, were at some kind of a dinner where we're all trying to put on a facade and pretend to, pretend to be that it's okay, pretending that everything's just okay when really it's not and as the screw tightens and as things start to go awry you really start to see the true characteristics of the, of the people at the table and I think Fleabag handles that those juxtaposition uh, of, of those character traits so well and um, that that being one, of course, the therapist sequence is the other. And generally, the whole uh, the, the confession booth sequence, in where the priest and her, where she talks to the priest about how um, she wants someone to tell her what to do, because mm-hmm. she's built this persona of this of being this strong, independent person, but she's ultimately caused so much damage to the people around her and to herself at this point she's kind of questioning if whether it's the right what she's doing is the right thing because she just needs some sort of guidance and how that scene ultimately culminates is also quite hilarious and uh, and, and in a way quite hot as well given the the, the tension and the chemistry that the two of them have so yeah i think those are a couple of my favorite sequences from the second uh, season of course the whole claire leaving her husband sequence in the kitchen was was beautiful because martin has this intense monologue of saying i will leave you if you just kneel down and beg me to do so and for a brief second you as the audience think she's not going to do it and then she steps right. to the side kneels down and goes i am begging you leave me <laughs> 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 i was like wow this is it's so well done it, and it's perfectly executed so yeah i think those are a couple of my favorite moments
1: i think broadly you guys have covered whatever i i wanted to say uh I guess uh, the pilot is, I think, one of the better pilots out there, you know, gets you hooked on from the get-go and uh, the cold open to the whole the whole Obama scene, To it gives you just about enough of a flavor of who she is at the end of the episode and uh, again, all of the moments where, for me, what really keeps me hooked on to the show, kept me hooked on to the show moments where I felt her facade was going to break and I mentioned, like, she pulls it back. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge does a wonderful job of that. The Silent Retreat episode is another one where you can see, right, her and Claire are almost going to say what they really want to say. You can see there's a wall between them. It's about to crumble and it does to an extent, but again, there's a sort of separation between them. It it feels like there's a chasm between them that can't be, you know, bridged. Uh, There's that episode, the the dinner episode, the season two opener, I would say is... Again, one of the best written episodes of television that I have seen. And I think I generally love uh, dinner episodes, right? One, it's almost like a bottle episode because everything's happening almost real time. Right. And uh, you can't escape the scene for better or worse. Yeah. If it's uncomfortable, you're in that discomfort, right? Yeah. Uh, another recent episode, similar uh, dynamic was the one, The Bear, right? Which had the whole family dinner uh, episode. In the second season, similar. I mean, bear was a lot more stressful. This was comedic, but same. You know, you're you're uncomfortable. You're just asked to be. You know, as though you're one of the people at the table, and you can see. And we've all been in those situations, like Abhin said. You know, where you'd you'd rather be anywhere but there, but you have to, you know, yeah. put on appearances, smile at you know at the right moments, and just you know make it through the duration of the yeah. meal so again great great episode um and the priest interactions as well although again bit of a confession here i i i didn't get the appeal so if either of you can explain to me yeah atula if you can just explain to me what it is that i mean i love andrew scott right and i and abin knows this i i have a weakness for the irish accent so i was anyway bought into his character purely because i love andrew scott but what made it... I, I know there's a lot of chatter on this on the internet, you know, the hot priest uh, discussion. But uh, if somebody can just enlighten me a little bit, what, what I was missing?
2: Okay, firstly, Andrew Scott is extremely attractive. Yeah. And he has an accent. Mm-hmm. And he really pulls off that uh, priest robe like, uh, you know, no one else can, uh, I'd say. <laughs> but I also think as the show goes on, um, he's just somebody who sees feedback for who she is, right? Like he's he's helping her through like the conflicts she's having about how she's living her life. He um, is so invested in, you know, being around her and so attuned, I think, to her presence that he can tell when she's not all there and she's off doing her little internal um, monologue. So I just think as a partner, as a supportive presence and as a friend, I think he's just such a fantastic character and I also think there's always this fundamental you know um, forbidden fruit kind of appeal I think that is just I think the pull of that is just too strong right the the whole
1: Neil scene plays into that I guess it's you know forbidden fruit authority whatever I mean is is that sort of emotion that it leverages I
2: guess 100% and I also think for her it's a different Like, you know, she's had this chaotic sex life. She's just gone after, um, you know, a lot of meaningless, meaningless flings. She's, you know, been with her friends, partners, and things like that. So I think here she, you know, wants something really, really badly, but she's holding back because, uh, you know, she shouldn't and because she's trying to be a better person. And I think all of that sort of adds to what a special dynamic, um, that is. But it's honestly something you can't put in words. It's, I'm not sure I've done a great job communicating.
0: <laughs> it's a very visceral feeling. feeling, essentially.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And I, I'll tell you why Rohit has that thing, because in, even in me initially, had I had that same approach, because from what you see of the priest, you clearly see a guy struggling, and his crutch is alcohol. So I think halfway through, the, through season two, I was like, this man is an alcoholic. Like, it seems, because every other scene, he's holding a drink in his hand, and he's got something or the other going... And he's and they talk about his his past, which is not really um I mean, they kind of really mention that he's had a difficult past and he ultimately turned towards religion to keep him grounded, which is the story of millions who've had who come from who've had a difficult childhood, have had issues with drug abuse, have uh, had issues with alcoholism, who have all turned to religion in some format to as as their cornerstone to just keep them grounded and, and to move on with life. And I think for him, having met somebody, he's on this path and he feels like he's doing so well. And then he meets this one person who he's very attracted to, but is exactly the opposite of what his current uh, worldview is. And so he's struggling with it. And, and, and as much as Fleabag is attracted to him, he's doing. He, it's very clear that he's attracted to her as well, but he's just trying to push it away so he can continue uh, living, doing what he believes is the right path because he feels that whatever path that she's on, is just going to lead him to to despair. And watching that dynamic unfold, where he kind of like is just trying to um, wrestle with those feelings, this makes for very intriguing television. Uh, Yes, the two have chemistry. At some points, I was like, okay, this is probably the most normal human being that Fleabag is attracted to. Because it's very (laughs) clear that the kind of guys that she picks are dudes who she has no future with and who she can blow up a scenario with and walk away without feeling a lot of guilt these are people that are that are generally not very nice people even in season two the lawyer that she sleeps with who keeps calling himself a great fuck and she says oh he actually is is just again a complete asshole uh uh-huh. and is there's no really redeeming qualities to them which kind of makes her feel like okay she's doing the right thing even if these people are incapable of hurting her I think the only time she actually feels a little hurt is when Harry doesn't come back to her at the end of season one because they have this vicious cycle of breaking up and getting back together. And towards the end, I think he, he says something along the lines of, um, uh, he's like, no, I'm not coming back this time and uh, I think I'm going to see somebody else. So when it comes to the priest, I, I feel like this is she feels like this is probably one of, one of the few people whom she senses is attracted to her but is not doing anything about it. Which kind of is again a, a whole uh, is a big challenge to her current worldview because whoever in the past couple of years has been attracted to her has always come onto her very strongly. Mm-hmm. The priest, on the other hand, is giving her the attention but not the kind that she she expects, which kind of throws her world into a into a tizzy. So um I definitely like the way the character di- their two character dynamics uh clashed, so to speak.
2: Yeah. And I think as a viewer, it's it's like every regency romance there is, right? Like there's yeah. oh, yeah. people who are extremely well suited for each other. They're flawed human beings, but you know they they bring out um, you know they bring out the good sides of one another. But circumstances are keeping them apart. So I yeah. think he's very similar uh, to you know uh, like the leads in Bridgerton or even if you guys have watched Mrs. Ne- Marvelous Mrs. Nasal. I kind of think he's similar to Lenny Bruce, right? You are you see a lot of this chemistry early on, but, you know, uh, Midge and Lenny are just so supportive to each other. They're both messed up in their own ways, but you're just... Something about them tells you that, you know, if they were together, they would be so good for each other. And I think that's the dynamic priest and the hot priest and free have as well.
1: Interesting. I think that, that makes uh, things a lot clearer for me. I mean, I was already on board. I just wanted to know why I was on board. Now I have a... <laughs> A lot more clarity as to why I like uh, the character. But great. I think this is as good a segue as possible into our theme's discussion, given that we've already sort of started digging into the dynamics of the show. So let's get into it, right? I think the the character, obviously, that merits the most discussion here is is Fleabag, the central character. I would say she's probably the most layered, has the most complicated backstory. And uh, there's a lot to unpack here, right? Uh, as he mentioned there's recurring themes of loss guilt loneliness across across the show and um, i feel this as i mentioned on the group chat as well i think a lot of her self-sabotaging behavior comes from survivors i mean it's just not just survivor's guilt in this case it's legit guilt because she caused uh boo's death in in a direct or indirect way And also survivor's guilt because there's a very strong element of codependency in their relationship, right? uh, And this is something at a personal level I've always been wary of, which is to not uh, have a friendship, which is, you know, in that sense, all eggs in one basket, you know, it's all or nothing where put, put all of your energies into having that one friend. Which is, you know, it's always good to have very deep friendships. There's an, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But it should not get into that codependency territory where, you know, if they were, for whatever reason, it, it need not be death. You could have a blow up with your friend and they're not in your life anymore. And your individual, your sense of self is so deeply ingrained into that relationship. If it's an unhealthy degree, you see that play out. Uh, the effect it has on on Fleabag, Boo's death is is very clearly unhealthy because of the extent to which her sense of self was tied into that relationship right so again all of these things uh, all of these themes uh, play out across the course of the show and like atula mentioned those intrusive thoughts that self sabotaging behavior that she gives uh, gives into uh, really drives not just the plot forward but also her course of or her 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 path to uh, betterment uh, or lack thereof so again, some of the themes that I thought uh, we should get into. What do you guys think? Um,
2: I think a big theme is uh, a lot of what she does is driven by loneliness, right? At some at some point, she needs to make that transition into accepting that she deserves to be happy. Like she's done a lot of chaotic things. She's a very morally ambiguous person. But, you know, at some point she needs to tell herself, hey, it's okay that I um, deserve to be happy. I deserve to have a person and I should be vulnerable with that person. And I think that could also be one of the reasons why she had just one best friend, right? like she struggles with getting vulnerable, letting her like deeper self um, be known to other people, which is why she has a lot of meaningless flings and, you know, doesn't wait to stay around to get hurt. One of the few times she does that is when she, you know, um, confesses her feelings to the uh, to the hot priest. But um, I think a lot of what she does is driven by just being lonely, wanting to ignore what's going on in her life through a series of, you know, meaningless flings and actions that she can like distract herself with.
1: Actually, that uh, that just brings an interesting thought to my mind, which is how, how different was she probably before Boo's death, right? Because what so a, I'm I sure a lot of those behaviors also come from her upbringing, being like they say motherless daughters, right? So that's again so I think a lot of that,
0: yeah, a lot of that stems from. So I think by the time she and Boo are around, and I think what really forces her to to move towards Boo, I mean, to get closer to Boo is because the death of her mother, which is addressed over both seasons, and the impact it has on her and her family. Because uh, as her dad, her dad says, I love you, but I don't like you. So he always, she was always much closer to her mother than she was to her father. And she's really struggling with grieving. And I think even on the day of her funeral, or the day of her mother's funeral, in season two, there's a great scene about how she feels like she's, She looks great. And everybody who keeps coming to the funeral keeps talking, complimenting and saying, you look wonderful. Grief really agrees with you. And she's in this, she's obviously in like a messed up place. She's grieving and she's looking at herself and she looks great. And the one thing about Fleabag and that what really stands out is that is self-deprecation. I mean, the show is called Fleabag. The character is called Fleabag. She doesn't really have a name. She calls herself Fleabag. Uh, So clearly this character has much like all of us, we are our own harshest critic, but more so in, in this scenario where she doesn't believe she's capable of any good. And so she picks this life that she's just going to um, live where she kind of keeps everybody at an arm's length. And uh, kind of, she puts all, like Roald said, she puts her eggs in, in, in the codependency basket with, with Boo. And that's so commonplace these days that, that happens with friends, that happens with parents when codependent parents and parent-children relationships are, are extremely problematic and have been uh, for quite some time. So it's just, um, it's it's a very interesting dynamic because once you move one part of that equation out of the picture, you're just left with this person, you, you're leaving this person with this massive vacuum to fill where you've invested so much of your self-worth into this relationship and now that it's gone, where do you go from here? Uh, and why do you want to open yourself up much like any relationship really like you want to open yourself up to uh to somebody new and go through that entire exhausting experience with them it how does one um uh, is that the more preferable thing rather than just like completely shutting off and engaging in meaningless encounters with people who you know aren't shit so uh it's it presents a, a very, very interesting um, conversation, and I think another thing it does really well is that it shines uh, a great light on modern-day feminism. Now, the, the thing with feminism and with patriarchy, because patriarchal values have ruled society for years, they both expect women to behave in a certain way, and I think feedback kind of shines a light on both sides. But the patriarchal aspect is where you need to be certain way, you need to like dress and talk to a certain uh, in, in a certain manner. And whereas on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have like feminist values where you need to be this infallible character where that can take absolutely anything and have um, criticism bounce off you like like rubber arrows. And I think feedback is talks about how it, it points that you can still have agency of your own character while still going through absolute shit. You don't need to be this girl boss type who has everything under control. You could be a total mess, but at the same time, you can control your own narrative, and I, and I think that's a very interesting perspective. At times, she critiques; she she pokes fun uh, at certain scenarios, saying, "Oh, we would, uh, we wouldn't be feminist if we were better looking." And and at the same time, she they <laughs> they, they, they poke at they poke at the patriarchal uh, value system as well. So it's it's a very sharply written show that really explores these these themes. Very well. And uh, yeah, I think very few shows are capable of doing such a such a feat.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely what makes it so relatable as well, right? I don't mm. I don't think the average woman would relate specifically to Fleabag's life circumstances. But mm. the fact that say she has not followed the set mold of, you know, corporate corporate career. Um, marriage kids right or the fact that she's going through life not having all of the answers right like you do you do think okay I need to be this strong independent woman but I also feel different ways sometimes right you know or I think I'm this body positive person I know that everybody is uh, beautiful attractive in their own way but also have your own set of insecurities at the same time so I think yeah I've said this before but I think the fact that she's in every woman right like she yeah. goes through the same I think uh mental whirlwinds that a lot of a lot of women do and she's figuring things out her issues bigger than most I think for most people but I think that's what makes it such a great show as well.
0: And I think what really the, the juxtaposing her against Claire makes it uh yeah. makes, makes for more engaging viewing there because Claire is supposed to, like I mentioned previously Claire is supposed to be the perfect person. She's got a great job. She's got a family. She's, she's getting awards. And like, she's has amazing an amazing skin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's, she has this weird French haircut and the only other and person that manages to fall in love with her is a dude, is a dude named Claire. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she's probably some sort of, a, like some sort of allegory for, for her being some sort of a narcissist as well, because the only one capable of loving you is yourself. But whatever. But, um, <laughs> in spite of all of that and she she looks at her sister who absolutely does not have her life together and is still jealous and envious of the attention that she gets um which which shows that i i don't think like no matter how society views you i i ultimately we are extremely cruel on ourselves uh and i i don't know how that how that ever changes because or rather you, it's a, it's, a, it's a long journey towards just being better to yourself. And I think even the show kind of teaches you that as it progresses through, through both seasons.
1: Yeah, I think it's just uh, their expression of feminism here is just letting women be whoever they are. You know, it's, it's not exactly. putting them in specific boxes because, like you said, Claire's, a, Claire's one kind of uh, a woman, uh, Fleabag is a different kind of woman. You know Olivia uh, Colman's character, The Godmother, yeah is a flawed woman but she's her she's her own woman nonetheless right and uh, again none of them are expected or maybe they are expected to adhere to certain uh standards or uh, kinds of being but they don't the characters don't adhere to they they're very their own uh beings uh, okay. like like the the whole show that olivia colman's uh, her, her exhibition that is the end of the first season it might seem weird to me right whatever like it's it's a classic case of Fucking anything is art, right? You you put an interpretation to anything and call it art. That that's how I saw that episode. Like, okay, cool. You want to put uh, a feminist spin on it? I can I can uh, reason my way into or out of uh, any piece of art. But cool. I mean, that that's who she is, and the, the show lets her be that. They don't specifically. Yes, there is some comedy mind out of the fact that her artwork is quite honestly bizarre at times. But it, that's not central to her character she is her own thing she does her own thing so I, I really find yeah. that aspect
2: I think what's even better is that it doesn't think that you know you living your life a certain way insulates you or ignores you from being called out for doing bad things right like I think the show makes perfectly clear yes you know Olivia Colman is a sex positive artist who you know has like a community of diverse people around her but she's also you know a mean person who is not very nice to her aging husband and you know is not very uh, nice to his daughters i think it doesn't it doesn't get caught up in these big statements of like you know girl boss women can do this women can do that it's just like we're all you know um we're flawed people we're living our lives and our acts have impact on the people around us and, you know, everyone's just trying to figure life out and uh, make it work. Just one uh, comment on the sister relationship, though. I I loved it. I think it's fantastic. Um, very, very, very well, it brings out, I think, the complexities of just having somebody you love so, so deeply, but also um, have extremely strong uh, feelings about, you know, whoever said the most complicated relationship in your life is with a romantic partner, right? I think uh, you will find many, many siblings um, say that about about their sibling. And um, I think for her, what it is, is she's actually performing not just, you know, successful corporate role. She's also performing a lot of care work. I think a part of what leads keeps her in that marriage is the fact that, you know, there's this uh, stepson, he's very emotionally reliant on her, she needs to go deliver his clarinet or, you know, musical instrument and uh, and all of that. So, you know, she's feeling this need to perform, like, all of these different roles of femininity. And I think what, what um, I think makes her jealous about Gbag's life is not really the attention that she's getting, but also just the freedom she's, uh, yes. with which she's leading her life right like bucking all of these expectations and being like you know i'm just not going to think about it i'm just going to do it which is kind of why at the end i think she finds courage to leave her marriage and go off on this relationship with a hot finished man so i think that relationship is beautiful
1: we're all three elder siblings here right we know exactly how that is,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the
1: younger true. ones get to do whatever they want yep, yep. yeah the older ones have yeah we've, we've all been there We've, we're expected to tick certain boxes and not do certain things.
2: Agreed, agreed.
1: Uh, the other thing that I wanted to just draw attention to when you mentioned loneliness, I feel loneliness is not just a a, a, a theme that is uh, valid when it comes to just bag. You, you can see all of them are lonely in their own way. Uh when the whole, I think this again. This uh, is it. The season one finale where her dad breaks down and says he's not necessarily happy with uh, with Olivia Colman's character, and you know she doesn't necessarily treat him well all the time. So he's lonely in her mm-hmm. his own way. Fleabag obviously is. Claire has her own demons to deal with, which yes, she does get help from Fleabag occasionally, but there are a lot of things that she has to deal on her own. So everyone sort of feels like they're in their own silos and oftentimes you just catch yourself looking at the screen like, guys, just talk to each other, like just open up, right? You can help each other so much more if you're there for each other, as opposed to just trying to, you know, figure everything out on your own, which also, again, unfortunately, resonates a lot with all of us in our own lives, right? I'm sure there are relationships which would be a lot easier if we just opened or if the other person opened themselves up a little more, but for whatever reasons we find ourselves withholding or or the other end. So I, I felt loneliness is not just, you know, specific to Fleabagia. It's a larger theme of the show. I don't oh,
0: know how you guys... I, I fully understand it. And I and I can speak from someone who, who moved. And I don't know how much of this is true for you, you, Atala. But when you move to a different city, loneliness plays a huge factor because it's a new environment. You're so unfamiliar to your surroundings. And it's even if you surround yourself with a bunch of friends, it's just, there's a weird part of you that's still empty and you realize that it's not just you who's facing it a lot of people are and what you can do at the most is probably just ask them if they're if they're okay if if uh, if they're uh, going going through a good time and most people will talk to you about it but the fact that none of us ask this question to to most people because we just assume that everyone's fine everyone's doing better than you are um and just you and you make yourself feel further miserable about it it's uh, It's this vicious cycle that we're all stuck in, and I've noticed this. Where I had a friend, I reached out to him a couple of—I mean, spoken to him a couple of years ago—and I said, "Are you okay?" And suddenly, the night went from us just chilling and watching a show to having a really deep conversation about where each other, each of us, was in our lives, and you know, our insecurities, our, our issues, whatnot. And I think people are willing to talk right now, given so much, there's so much pressure, both internal and external uh with the world that you're always you always feel like you're trying to play catch up no matter where you are in life. And that can be a very alienating feeling. And I think the show really captures um that aspect very well.
2: Everyone is figuring out their own battles, right? You yes. can think that somebody's life looks perfect on Instagram or generally from the outside, but Everybody is fighting their own demons and just trying to make sense of the chaos of life. And we should just communicate that more to each other.
1: Awesome. I think one last point that I wanted to quickly touch upon, which I found interesting, given the way the rest of the show plays out is, Abin, like you mentioned, how the priest is very vocal and open about religion being his way out of whatever mess he was in before they met, Right. Now, again, I don't, I don't, I'm not privy to Phoebe Waller-Bridge's personal beliefs about religion, but from the way the rest of the show is written, doesn't feel like somebody who's like super religious. Again, this is not to say that liberal thought and religion necessarily have to be antithetical to each other, but she feels like a liberal lighter who doesn't really dip into religion as much. I'm just wondering what caused her to include this sort of viewpoint, right, Which, which is to say... Show religion in this strongly positive light for a particular character, I just found that very fascinating that That aspect of the background of the priest's character I found very fascinating, and I just wonder you know what what caused her to sort of weave that into the story in this manner.
2: Well, I think it's just the fact that for millions of people around the world, it is that crutch right um it It is probably the most influential force we have uh, in terms of just how many people it quantitatively um, takes into its midst. And I think for all of these people, religion is that symbol. Like this is what makes them feel uh, better, makes them want to be better, gives them a template on how to live their lives. So I think ignoring it in in like a deep examination of, you know, there's a bunch of people, they all want to be better. They're figuring out and like trying to leave a lot of issues behind. What are the ways in which they do this? Some people quick escape, some people just force fit yourself into like these narrow boxes. For some people, just that is this big force of organized religion, right? So I think it's only likely and it's only natural that it's possible that you meet somebody for whom this has been such an impactful force. Mm -hmm. I guess I I also. sorry sorry go on i also think uh sh- she does i think recite hymns um from memory when she visits him in church for the first time so i don't know what he religious views are but maybe she's like a lapsed religious person or maybe just a non-practicing religious person
1: no i guess i guess i i also think maybe i was interpreting it given i was looking at it from my lens right because yeah, i'm not super into religion so yeah. maybe my biases were playing into my point
0: of view. Fair enough. I think that I, I, think, yeah. I think generally what happens is, and listen, I'll speak from my personal perspective. So I have a, a partner who's a lot more spiritual than I have ever been. And I've never like been in the kind of person that looked towards religion for some sort of like, grounding factor. And I kind of viewed people who did that in, in a certain light until I mm. met my partner. And I over the years it has taught me to understand and to appreciate how people, what do you call, are, um, choose, cho- choose to lean on different kinds of systems for, for their comfort or, or, or for, the, for their support. Me, on I don't necessarily have to cater to the belief system. I It's not something I particularly find myself doing. But do I understand or do I respect it enough because I care and love my partner so much? Absolutely. And I think that's similarly the case with, with Fleabag here because she feels that the religion is such a core part of the hot priest's philosophy. She tries to do her best to make her partner feel like she's seeing him for who she is, and she's making the effort to be a part of his world, uh, while not necessarily being somebody. I, she does not strike me as someone, as Ruth pointed out, someone who is extremely religious or even think, thinks about it. The, the falling portrait gag uh, of Jesus Christ is wonderful. That every time something. Um, unholy is about to happen. The, the portrait falls. Yeah. It's, it's a great running <laughs> gag. But yeah, I just feel like it. It's, it comes down to the, the whole idea that when, when you really care and care for your partner, and you kind of go to an extent where you want them to feel uh, like they're uh, like they're being understood. Sometimes
2: I wish you know I did believe in a, uh a dude in the sky who'd you know tell me how to live life and fix things for me, right? Because do I want to have uh, existential crises with no you know rule book on how to get out of it? No, it would be great to uh, actually feel that kind of a strong sense of belief about something. But uh, it uh, this also reminds me of this one I think web comic strip I saw many many years ago where there's this you know character who looks up in the sky and says, "God, you're just a crutch." And then the voice in the sky says, uh, yeah, well, you're lame. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that, <laughs> that I really think that is the equation for a lot of people and um,
1: possibly. What- I think it, it helps to unburden some of the agency, right? So you're able to place, yeah. people use it to place blame or say, hey, some things are out of my hand. When, yeah. If you look at it purely scientifically, nothing is out of your hand. I mean, yeah, things, not everything is out of your hand, but there's, there's no proven higher power there's no concrete proof but yeah it it helps people navigate or cope with things a little better I guess but yeah I I just wanted to uh, bring that point up anything else you guys want to table any other point you feel you missed
2: Um, because you know we all enjoyed feedback so much do you guys have suggestions for other kinds of movies or uh, you know series that are similar or make you feel a similar way
1: I think we should briefly talk about Crashing, the other Phoebe Waller-Bridge show. I know you want to.
2: Yeah. 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 So Phoebe Waller-Bridge also, I think, uh, now has a track record of writing uh, super complex characters who um, I think have a lot to fix in their lives and are working on that path. Um, And Crashing, I think, was like a short and sweet uh, example of that. I think it predated... Feedback. I'm not sure yeah
1: yeah, but I think it's a couple it's, of years
2: yeah. yeah and it's about a group of friends um it's sort of like friends they all live in you know shared housing together but it's way darker and way more messed up than um than friends is but uh, isn't it like also a condemned
1: very... hospital or something they live in like a yeah. Exactly.
2: It it's six people who get greatly subsidized rent and I think like a small monetary incentive for living in like this condemned um, hospital. And, yes. you know, it's about their interpersonal relationships and how some of them uh, develop feelings for each other and uh, how they cross, cross wires and things like that. I don't want to spoil it, but I think if you like fleabag crashing is, and you're, you don't want to fill the fleabag shaped void in your life, definitely check out Crashing.
1: Yeah. But I think other than that, I don't know of a show which has... A, it's a very unique vibe that Fleabag has. It's very hard there's to another, capture. Yeah.
0: There's, there's another very interesting show a couple of years ago. I haven't seen it in quite some time. It's called Casual. Uh, and it's written by Jason Reitman. And I think it's, three, mm-hmm. it's a story about this brother and his sister. And uh, the brother the sister is undergoing a divorce. And so she and... I think she and her daughter are staying with the brother. The brother is this multi-millionaire uh, dude who founded a dating app but just has no luck in relationships. And it's a very dysfunctional family that's that, that's going through a particularly hard period in their lives. So I, I, I've, it's been a while, so don't quote me on the exact plot scenario. But it, it again takes the whole dysfunctional relationship dynamic um, that, that people have and throws a funny spin on it. So definitely worth checking out. In terms of like Fleabag is, you probably classify her as an Mm -hmm. anti-hero. So if you want someone who is, like if you want to go for a show that's in the anti-hero mold, I highly recommend uh, checking out Unreal. Now there's nothing really funny about Unreal, but it's a hell of an engaging show with two great female leads. Uh, And it's about basically the production team behind the shows like The Bachelor and what they do. To get ratings and what they do to form a narrative. So when people walk onto shows, they um, they immediately label certain characters. One of one of the girls is going to be a bitch, you know, the, the vamp. One of them is going to be uh, the, the country girl. One of them is going to be the city girl who, who's been through trouble. They kind of like manipulate the narrative, ask these girls to do weird things to where they can get in front of the camera and ultimately win the entire thing. And just how much the produce, how much of their own humanity the producers have to forego. To, um, uh, to just get better ratings. So very well-written characters. I think Constance Zimmer is, is excellent on that show. I, you'd probably recognize her as Dana Gordon from Entourage, for those of you who've seen her. Uh, so it's it's something definitely worth checking out.
2: When you were speaking, Abin, a uh, crazy Girlfriend came to mind, which is also, ah, yes. you know, if you want to watch something where, uh, you know, like a 30-something is just... Going through random things that happened to her and around her, uh, Crazy Girlfriend is hilarious. It's also musical, so it's um, yeah. a very fun watch. Uh, Rohit, I recommend you watch this clip of a song called "Don't Be a Lawyer." You might want to show it to Poonam also. <laughs> it's a very, very, it's a very funny show and a very funny song. So I think I that's will. also I a recommendation. I have.
1: That also reminds me one more. I think nice. All these shows are now uh, coming out. I don't know if either of you have watched uh, Russian Doll. It stars Charles uh, Leon, who was famously yes. there in Orange is the New Black. Again, 30 something, complicated character, very flawed, but at the core, likable. Obviously, the Russian doll plotline is a little sci fi and there's a whole time loop thing, etc. But the central character, again, similarly interesting, flawed, multi- multifaceted. So if you guys haven't checked that out, you should. I mean, I've
0: only seen half and, of the first season. I'm making my way through it. It's very nice. Uh, and I think the one other show I'd like to add, given characters who are self-deprecating assholes, is a show on, was on FX a couple of years ago called You're the Worst. And oh. it, it it's such a, that, that first season is wonderful. It's these two people who are going through a different time, a diff- difficult period in their lives, who meet at a wedding and then just continue to see each other on and off and are just the absolute dicks to each other. But there's that they have such great chemistry, and they and they keep coming back to each other after having gone through things that they're going through in life. It makes for super engaging viewing. Uh, I followed it right to the end. Uh, I, Aya Cash is is great on that show. If I, you've seen her in any of the any of the other films and shows that she's done, she played what is that girl in in the boy? Stormfront. Stormfront. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she plays. Uh, she was on that, but I I will always know her as that girl from from You're the Worst. It, it's a great show for those of you who are looking for that flea baggage that you want to scratch i think we've had a great discussion short and sweet
1: i mean by our by our standards <laughs> anywhere around the one hour mark is is fairly short and sweet but uh i think we we've discussed the themes that we wanted to discuss like i said atula's inputs were far smarter than mine and i've like i had predicted so yeah uh, mm. very fun conversation uh atula thanks uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us, I know you. I think you flew back in today morning, right? So this is like, I'm guessing it's been a very long day for you. Uh, but I, I'm so glad you made the time and were able to join. Uh,
0: but yeah,
2: thanks, Toei. Thanks, Abhin. Super fun discussion. And look forward to more.
0: Cool. Uh, we will be back next week for a new episode. Uh, until then, stay tuned. Tell us how you thought. What you thought of the episode? Tell us if you liked it. Tell us what you'd like for us to improve. And uh, if you've made it thus far, please just follow, like, share the podcast with whoever you want to. It really helps us and particularly me sleep a lot better. Thank you. (laughs) We'll we'll see you soon.
2: Bye-bye. See you guys. Bye. Bye.